grew up in a in a really hard childhood. Uh, I dealt with uh, alcoholism, drugs, family members who attempted suicide, family members who who unfortunately committed suicide, and there was just always throughout my life, I always felt my my head was almost held underwater. Hi, my name is Shlomo Salson. I'm the host of Dreamers University. The first and third Tuesday of every month, I'm going to provide you with an episode filled with inspiring stories and practical tips to help you live your dream life. If you want to commit to achieving your dreams, go ahead, subscribe to this podcast, and enjoy this episode. Hey, Dream Makers, welcome to another episode of Dreamers University. Today, I have my third interview with me. His name is Miguel Tavares. Miguel is one of the founders and managing partner at Blue Hammer Roofing and Blue Hammer Solar. In 2022, his company was ranked 17 on Inc. 5000 list, which means his company is the fastest growing company in his industry and the 17th fastest growing company in the United States. His company had a growth of almost 16,000%. I had the pleasure of meeting Miguel in 2016 and 2017. We were both part of the USF Incubator Program, and we were both part of the Tampa Bay startup community. He moved to Dallas in 2017, where he joined another roofing company, helped it become successful before starting his own. Miguel, today he's going to talk about how him and his partners started a company from scratch in the last few years, made $100 million in sales. How you doing, Miguel? I'm doing great. I'm doing super great. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. Good good seeing you after all these years and uh, our, our beginning in the startup industry. Miguel, man, one of the things I liked about you was your suit. <laughs> Always perfectly tailored. <laughs> Always matching. And I feel like you have a different suit every single time. Although I, I, I have a su- suspicion that your favorite color is blue. Hey, hey, the <laughs> called Blue Hammer. It's got to be a blue suit. I, uh, uh, at this point, I think I have like half my wardrobe is just blue suits for every different occasion. So yeah, cool. that's awesome, man. You gotta give me some tips. But let's let's get into the interview. You know, you have a roofing company right now. It's very, very successful. But what inspired you to start to start this company with your partners? Yeah, um, and I, I I firmly believe in this. Um, I think before you start any company, and I've had at this point now, I've had three different companies. Uh, before you start a company, you should be really good in whatever that trade, that service, that product, whatever it is, you you personally should be good at that as an individual. And only at that point should you start uh, a company where you're going to have other people following you. To me, that's, that's really critically important. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure if anyone joins my company, they know, okay, this guy is the top of, of his field, the top level. So before I started my roofing company, I was in the top half of 1% of salesmen in the nation. Wow. And so I used that knowledge base to help grow the company. And that that helped compel us. Um, I just, I, I think a lot of people kind of miss that in business. And that's a reason why a lot of companies don't achieve the goals that they, mm-hmm. they really want is their founders or their leaders 
don't personally have that. And if you're, you know, if you're a seven, your company can only become a seven. If you're a 10, hey, your company can become a 10 or even even greater. And if you're a two, you have no reason starting a business. And were you always into roofing? Because I know you were at University of South Florida, you were into intellectual property. Were you always into roofing or is something that kind of fell in your, in your lap in Dallas? Yeah. So when I met you, we were in the startup community. We were doing, you know, I was doing patents, trademarks, uh, IP valuations, all that. So that was a whole different world. Mm -hmm. And um, when I when I left that, I kind of just I had been in an office. I had worked remotely. I'd never saw my clients face to face. And I, I just needed that human interaction. So I wanted something really different. I wanted to be out in the field. I wanted to like actually be face to face to see that product, to see the happy homeowner or, you know, client on the other end. Mm -hmm. um, so I looked, I searched out something really different. The things I loved about the roofing industry is that it's a completely fragmented industry, meaning th there is no Nike of roofing. There is, you know, you might have a company that's dominant in one city or maybe even one state, but across the nation, there's nobody there. And it's a lot of unsophisticated players. You and I come from the tech industry where, you know, we're using KPIs, we're using analytics to inform our decisions. Um, and I felt that doing a company that put those things into practice would really separate us from a lot of these mom and pop shops out there. A lot of people, you know, and there's nothing wrong with it, but third generation roofers who weren't really, they're still writing invoices on napkins. I thought, hey, you know, using our technology, using, you know, DocuSign at the time that we first started doing it was almost unheard of. No one in the industry mm -hmm. was doing that. Now more and more players are doing it. But we're really introducing a lot of technology into what we're doing. And I feel like that's helping propel us. How did you meet your partners? Because you have four, yeah. correct? Uh, there's a total of five of us, which uh, blows people's mind because they're like, how, how do you get that to work? Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah, so we have we have five partners and we operate off of kind of a hive mind mentality where <clears throat> we make sure we have redundancy between what we do. And that allows us to do things that no one else can do. Uh, right now, one of my partners is in Florida. He's helping with the hurricane. I have another partner who's doing solar. I have another partner who's uh, <clears throat> doing recruiting, another partner who's doing our backend and technical support. Um, and then we all kind of overlap just enough that if somebody you know gets tied up in one thing, uh, we're good to go. But to answer your question of how we met, uh, one of the partners is actually a my cousin, so we're mm. we're family by blood. So that was an easy choice. Uh, he's a high functioning guy, very tech savvy, great with putting together manuals, processes, procedures, which is something I really believe in. Um, another one of my partners, uh, I met him actually the very first day I moved to Dallas, which uh, I think is like the most fortuitous thing. Um, the second I met him, it just clicked. And we knew I was like, wow, this guy, you know, the more you're in sales, the more you you meet people, the more you network within 15 seconds, you know, whether somebody has it or if they don't. And I met him and I instantly knew there was an instant uh, connection and agreement that like, yeah, you know, we could do something really great if we ever work together. Um, so when the time came for us to start our own company, uh, my only apprehension is I know what my skills are and I know what my weaknesses are. And I wanted to surround myself with partners that insulated 
those things that I felt, you know, hey, that's not the thing I enjoy as much. And the research shows time and time again, the things you enjoy are the things that you're usually good at. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't focus on your weakness, but it does mean, hey, let me surround myself. Self-awareness. Is yeah, the self-aware of what you're great at, what you enjoy, mm-hmm. and then other people might enjoy some other stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was a great meeting. He introduced me to the other two partners then, um, and that's that's how we all met. That's awesome. You know, I know a lot of solopreneurs are struggling with this, including myself, is doing everything by yourself. And it's important to have a, a strong team behind you. You have to kind of let go of control. And, and that's the hardest part with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, aside from that, what can you recommend to a solopreneur who's maybe trying to build a team, but maybe doesn't have the money or doesn't know where to start? Yeah. Uh, and, and just slide aside, my, mm-hmm. my first businesses, I was that solopreneur. Mm-hmm. That's why this time around, I knew, hey, I don't want to do recruiting. I don't want to do, you know, there's those types of things. And I think that you have to be realistic with where your skill set lies. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, hey, if you've already started a business, you've already started a business. But my biggest advice is before you start a business, get buy-in from other people of, hey, here's the vision and make sure everybody's paddling uh, the exact same direction. Everybody has that same vision. We, we share a focus. That was one of the things we did. We sat down and put together a three-year plan of where we wanted to go before we even started the company. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds amazing. Um, you have to get other people to buy in. Um, whether whether you're a sole CEO, whether you have other partners, everybody in the team has to be rowing in the same direction. So I, I would say seek out those types of people. Nowadays with social media, that's a really, really easy thing to do. Um, just start networking. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, this person is always talking about whatever it is you might be lacking. Okay, hey, I see you're always, you know, talking about recruiting. I see you're always talking about leadership. I see you're always talking about, uh, you know, technical support, whatever it might be. You find that guru, you find that person, take them out to lunch and really like, okay, hey, I think we could work together. I think we could do some really amazing things. And then That's very true. Mm-hmm. I say date before you get married, right? So don't just immediately, okay, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be great. No, really sit down and like, okay, let's let's have several meetings before we start this company of, let's make sure that our visions are truly aligned. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Um, another uh, few great places to um, start looking for people is universities. You can mm-hmm. always, if you're a master's program together, colleges, you see similar interests on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has a search feature and then connect with those people, message them, or go to different networking events as well. But I feel like you might have gotten lucky because some people, when they when they partner up, doesn't always go too well. Yeah. Well, the problem is that they're not, you know, they might have a vision that's aligned from day mm-hmm. one, but they don't actually sit back down. And we do it probably about twice a, twice a month, we'll sit down all of us and, and it's almost like you update your software. Mm-hmm. We sit down and we'll update our software make sure, okay, we're still aligned. Okay, go do what you have to do. We don't check into each other. There is mm-hmm. no, okay, tell me what you're doing at this time. 
let me see your calendar because there has to be a trust factor. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're if you're truly partners, you have to trust. Hey, if, if I'm always checking to see what my right hand's doing, left hand doesn't get to get to act the way it needs to. Mm -hmm. um, so there has to be trust, but you also need to just update that software from time to time. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, Miguel, the biggest thing that I see with a lot of people, and especially around in, in the 20s and 30s, they have a job, they have an idea in mind, but they have fear, either the fear of failure, the fear of what their family is going to think of them, the fear of running out of money, the fear of what other people are going to think. How did you overcome your fear and what was your fear before starting a business? Yeah, I, I, I would say, first of all, I think fear is healthy. That's mm -hmm. some people think of it the other way. Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I see no fear. Hey, a healthy fear motivates you. That gets you going every day. When I go out and I'm with our, our team every single day, I know I have to perform. And I know like, hey, they're, they're counting on me to lead them in battle the way that I know that I need to. And if I have, you know, it's almost like a, a, a Michael Jordan, a Kobe Bryant. Hey, there's a fan in the stands who paid all this money to see me perform. And if I have a bad day to me, hey, that's one day of my life to that person. Mm -hmm. They spent all this money to come to my game to see me perform. I can't let them down. Same exact thing where like, yeah, there's there's a lot of different fears that can can creep up, that can crawl and embrace it. And like move towards it. Okay, so there's a fear of not having enough money. First of all, every business should have a, a pretty solid business plan. Um, so, okay, that's my fear. How do I address it? Every single one of those things, every single one of those fears you mentioned, they're, they're completely valid. Okay, I, you know, I don't want to let my parents down. Or for me, it was like, my parents were like, hey, is everything okay at home? Like you left the text space and you're over here moving. Like what? So yeah, you know, moving across, you know, the 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 nation to to do what we're doing all those fears they're great but create a business plan of okay so how am i going to tackle that how am i going to tackle that i see what the fear is now i need to address it and take take action on it mm -hmm. the biggest thing that you said is action yeah because even though you may be scared the more you act the more momentum that you build you start building that confidence level. Yeah. And eventually the f the fear will go down. It'll still be there. It'll go down, but you will be making progress along the way. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, just to piggyback off that and to, to kind of reiterate it, I don't make any decision. If I decide, you mm -hmm. probably saw recently, if I decide I'm going to make content, I decide I'm going to take massive action to do it. If I decide... Hey, we're going to open an office in, in Omaha. Hey, I'm going to pack everything I have and take massive action on it. it when Florida hit, uh, for me, there's like mental games that keep you really sharp. So mm -hmm. uh, Hurricane Ian hit Florida. And for me to stay mentally strong, we, you know, we have some houses that our team mm -hmm. is staying out down there. I, I prefer to sleep in my car because that keeps me hungry in the morning. Guess who's up when the sun comes up? Me. There is no sleeping in. The sun wakes you up. It keeps you moving. So it's it's just, okay, I'm embracing massive action in anything and everything that I do. Um, and I encourage my guys, same thing. If you, if you start my company, one of the things that I really hit home is like, do not slip out of the gates. The guys who like, for whatever reason, can't hit that top gear, they never recover. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something weird that happens. And the guys who come out and they take massive action and they really like first week, same thing I said about that 15 second rule, you know, first week I know, okay, this is going to be an A guy. This is going to be a B guy. This is going to be a C guy. And there's almost no changing that because the mindset you take when you start something, when you're most in love with it, when you're like, I'm so excited about it. If you're not taking massive action, then you're definitely not going to take it later. So Tony Robbins talks that. about it all the time. Massive action. All yeah. his videos. Yeah. Talks about yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about negative labels. Yeah. Miguel, negative labels is something that I have spoken about in a lot of my speaking engagements. I talk about negative labels. For example, you, you walk into a store, everything has a label in it. You put everything is in a specific category. We can do that with ourselves too. A negative label that I had as a kid was how I spoke, that I wasn't a good speaker because I don't know if you noticed, know but I went to speech therapy for seven years. I was bullied for how I spoke for 15 years. And in my head, in any podcast episode I'm doing or any speaking engagement, sometimes it does creep up that negative label saying I'm not a good speaker. And that's a category that I put myself in. Eventually, I had to overcome when I'm in sales, when I'm in business, when, when, when I'm doing my speaking engagements. But what are some of your negative labels that you had to overcome as an entrepreneur? Yeah. First of all, I, I have to like anyone watching this has to be like in awe of the fact mm-hmm. that like you took what some people thought was a weakness and now all of a sudden you're over here doing podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, you're now you've turned it into your strongest strength. Like those are the types of things I love. I love when people like really embrace, okay, that's the thing, that's the thing you think I'm weak at. Oh, let me show you, let me really like show the world on on what I'm doing. So I can't Appreciate say enough it. about that. That's amazing. I, I know you you had brought this up uh, years ago. And then when you started your podcast and when you started writing your book and you started, I, I think that, you know, that in and of itself is just amazing what you've mm-hmm. done um, with it. Uh, Appreciate it. Question about me. Hey, a lot, a lot of the same things uh, that you said. I, I grew up in a, in a really hard uh, childhood. Uh, I dealt with, uh, alcoholism, drugs, uh, family members who attempted suicide, family members who, who unfortunately committed suicide. And uh, there was just always throughout my life, I always felt that uh, I was, my, my head was almost held underwater. And it was held underwater to this degree where like, I almost felt like I was going to drown. But I always was allowed up. Like right before, okay, wow, this is, I can't believe I'm dealing with, you know, you, you know, all these other kids. And of course, everybody's going through their own stuff. But a lot of these things that I went through at a really young age, I didn't realize it at the time. But what it did is it made me mentally a lot stronger. So at the time, it was a huge weakness. Uh, my family structure was a little bit, you know, chaotic. Um, but what you're, you'd be amazed at is if your head's held underwater for a long period of time, at the end of that, you'd be surprised how long you could hold your breath. And that's what I find now is like mentally, I feel like I'm so much stronger than so many other people who, who led privileged, you know, didn't really have to deal with these things uh, just because you almost built the, those mental callus uh, in your mind. And David Goggins talks a lot about that. I but I, I think that's, a, that's a, a huge, huge thing. 
for for us in our in, in the industry we're in, in sales, there's a lot of other people with with similar backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I was really lucky that even though I had to deal with all these things, I was it was the right level of it because I was surrounded with love. Um, so even though it was hard, even though these crazy things were going on, uh, and the family structure was was a bit difficult, I was you know my mom. I ne- never one day did I ever fear. Okay, uh, you know where's where's love in this equation? It was, it was always there. It was always in front of me. So I was really fortunate on that front. That's awesome, man. I've, you know, I, I'm fortunate to interview so far around 90 people, including my old podcast, Teenage Impact, and to yeah. listen to everyone's story on how they overcame certain types of struggles. And then that helped them become successful just shows you that no matter what background you come from, yeah, it, it's a limitation at that moment, but you can overcome that limitation and eventually make it your strength, eventually create your own success yeah. story. So kudos to you, Miguel, man. Thanks. Super appreciate it. <laughs> let's, let's talk about you know building your business and your partner's business. $100 million in sales in three years. That is not easy to do. Just getting to a million dollars is tough to do. You got to a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Can you give me, what would you say are the three keys to your company's success? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you five, five. Well, okay. Five is <laughs> because, good. Cause these are things I live by. Uh, okay. people, the products and the processes you put together. And this isn't everything I do. It's something that I I love. No need to reinvent the wheel. Let's get this from somewhere. The people that you work with have to be high integrity characters. The processes that you're putting together have to be solid processes. And the product that you're selling has to be something that you can stand behind, that you're proud of, that uh, you're not going to ever be like oh yeah that was subpar we're always putting forth the best materials we can mm-hmm. um and then the two s's and these are probably the most important things in any business and you know after a decade of being in the startup industry i say all the time yeah it has to be scalable and it has to be sustainable uh i saw this i can't even tell you probably 75 percent of companies have systems in place that are not scalable so it works really well when they have you know two employees five employees maybe 10 employees but then all of a sudden when they get to 20 employees the whole entire wheel just like falls apart and we sit down all the time and we're like so when we were at 10 employees we're like okay which of these processes that we have are not going to allow us to scale to 100 and then as we started getting closer to 100 it was like, okay, which of these processes, which of these systems that we have are going to hold us back, are going to be bottlenecks that won't allow us to get to a thousand. And if you look at a company that way and you're always ahead of the curve, you you really can't fail. Um, three S's, two, uh, sorry. Three P's, three P's, two S's. Two S's, three P's, you can't go wrong. Now, is, is your system or the processes and the people – is that something you can change along the way or do you kind of live by that roadmap since the very beginning? Uh, yeah. So uh, the, and the very beginning is, is really uh, me and my partner sat in this very room 
and we had it was almost like electing the pope hours and hours we hadn't even started a company we're sitting for hours just really really game planning so i i think you have to always make sure your foundation is solid if your foundation is solid you can build you can scale you can do but if you if you don't really go in with that vision if there were certain decisions that we talked about for hours and if we hadn't came out of that room came out of this room with okay yeah, we we really believe in this. I I think it could have been a lot of trouble. Can you change? Absolutely. But imagine when you have five people and you change your systems or you change your your billing practice. Okay, yeah, that's not. But if you have ten thousand people and all of a sudden you change the commission, you change the you change how you order material, you change. Have we done things like that? We have. Uh, we have changed some of our systems. We have changed some of our. Uh, software tools, but that's really difficult. The, the better you are with making sure, okay, from day one, we had a solid foundation, good to go. Good. And you recommend sitting down, figuring all that out in the very beginning with your partners. You, I don't even recommend, I say you have to do it. You have to. You okay. Absolutely have to sit down and, and discuss those things. And you have mm -hmm. to talk uh, I'm, I'm going to actually show you something. So, like I said, in this room, we we uh, came up with, you know, how we were going to operate. One of those things was our core principles. And they, you know, we had a first draft and then we had a final draft. But to me, it was, it was super important mentally that I want to see what our thought process was when we started, like when we first sat down. So I wrote on this board, and I'm actually going to show you. They ended up changing a little bit. But I wanted to make sure that, like, okay, the things we talked about, they don't ever leave this board. Uh, the other board I have, hey, things can get erased, things can get moved. But it's been over three years of, like, I walk in my office and I'm like, yeah, that was our mindset when we started. Treat customers as family, trust, treat each other as family, accountability to and from, tough, honest love, and the pursuit of excellence. Mm -hmm. We changed that a little bit in the final draft, but I just want to, like, what were we thinking when we started? Oh, that was the day one thought process. Great. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. It, it, I like that you have that in place because you see a lot of companies that grow and when they start growing, they start making a lot of money and they forget the core values. Yeah. They forget their customer service skills. They forget how to treat employees. And it's good that you got that from the very start. Let's yeah. talk about your sales process too, because yeah. um, I saw that you do door-to-door -door sales, right? We do door-to-door -door sales, which is the craziest thing ever. So I'm excited to hear how this question goes. It's <laughs> it, it's it's crazy because I did door-to-door -door sales. I don't know yeah. if you know this, for about five months. It was my last semester at University of South Florida. What are you selling? I'm so excited to hear Alarm that. systems and home automation systems. And then two months later, I flew to Baltimore with the company. And I only lasted two out of the four months because that was my first experience in sales. And it was tough. I have, I have, I have stories for days. I'm talking about people threatening me, cursing me out. It, it was rough. I got some sales. Um, I wasn't very good at it, but it, it built the foundation to my work ethic and uh, my selling ability. Can you give some selling tips for uh, someone yeah. starting I mean, a business? If they don't I, have, I if they have zero selling experience, 
How can someone become better in sales? Yeah. Number one rule, confidence kills. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, especially in door-to-door -door sales, if you knock a door and you're approaching that from uh, a lack of confidence, that person on the other side, they're like, you're exuding that energy. And if you have a defeated attitude, they're ready. Okay. It's over. I don't care what type of sales it is, whether it's, you know, alarm, solar, pest control, roofing, you name it. Uh, it, it starts with confidence. The second biggest thing, and a lot of people don't realize this, is tonality. Mm -hmm. You One, you can't be monotone the whole time. You also can't be like, hey, this is, hey, what's going on? Like, people are like, like, what's going on? Like, why are you, why are you over the top? Like, it almost has that used car salesman vibe. You have to use your voice in a way that it's, it's a dance. It's like, it's. It's almost like a samba. It's something mm -hmm. beautiful and graceful. When you when you do it right, oh, it's it's so beautiful to see tonality of allowing like oh yeah, and then when you're energetic, like allow them to feel that and then pull back. And then sometimes when you're telling something someone something, it's almost like a whisperer of like yeah. So a lot of people, you know, I, I was working with your neighbors and, mm -hmm. and now they're like, okay, let me get in a little bit closer. This is, this is getting exciting. Okay. Yeah. And, and they're riding almost like a little roller coaster with you. So you make it, I, I tell my guys, like, it's a show, it's a show and you're putting out a performance and you want it to be graceful. You want it to be a, a work of art. Those two things uh, are, are the foundation. If you can do those two things, I can teach you a script. I can teach you how to overcome an objection. Whatever your industry is, and I, I keep a list on my phone, and when I'm driving, I'll, I'll go through it. In the shower, I'll go through it. I keep, from for our roofing industry, I have the top eight objections that I hear. That's the other thing. Create a list of, you hear the exact same objections again and again and again, mm. whatever your industry is. Some people, you know, create a list of 10. It, it should actually be what are the most common in your industry. If it's 15 things, Hey, it's 15 things, but practice those again and again and again. And if you have to read them when you start, you're like reading it off. Okay. I just need to memorize that in the very beginning. Okay. Now I'm going to add tonality. Okay. Now I'm going to add, you know, confidence in it, but practice it. And then mm -hmm. don't get overconfident in the fact that, okay, now I know it. It's almost like uh, a professional basketball player shooting free throws. You want to go back, you know, Kobe before every single practice would shoot a thousand free throws. This dude's the best. Why is he doing it? Because if, if not, he's not going to be, you know, the best at shooting free throws without practicing that skill again and again and again. So we preach that like, don't, don't let the ego take you away and be like, I've arrived because next thing you know, you get rusty. You're like free balling a little bit and freewheeling a little bit because uh, you, you just haven't practiced your skill. Mm -hmm. So would you recommend hiring a sales trainer? There's a lot of sales, I would say coaches, gurus out there. I know Tom Hopkins, when I graduated about nine years ago, Tom Hopkins came to the company and spoke about sales. Would yeah. you recommend hiring a sales trainer or you think hiring someone more specific to your industry? To help yeah, you with sales. It depends on what you're you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you should find a guru who specializes in your niche, or or someone who's a generalist but understands other industries really well. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and if you're door to door, okay, somebody who understands door to door as a whole. If you're cold calling, okay, somebody who understands cold calling sales, because these are as much as you want to think, oh yeah, it's interchangeable and there are some principles that you can, you know, that offense does apply to this offense. You you really want somebody who understands exactly what it is you're doing. So it's specific. Mm -hmm. Does it need to be in your specific niche? It's great if it is, but even if it's not, uh, there's value in just talking to people who have who have done it to a high, high level. There's this debate that is going on. Follow your passion. Some yeah. people are saying follow your passion. Some people are saying follow the money. What do you believe in? <laughs> yeah, uh, man. So, so that's that's a, a battle. A lot of people, mm -hmm. passion versus you know financial happiness. You know financial happiness because some people don't. You have to do something you're you're happy doing. I'm a really fortunate person. Um, I've told my mom like I don't care if I was a garbage man. I would. I would find a way to be the happiest. I would figure out a way to be the best garbage man. I, I, because I gamify everything I do. And I think that's how I personally find passion and fun and whatever it is. Um, I don't care for playing checkers. I don't care whether it is a game, isn't a game. I'm fortunate in that fact that I, I can get happiness in whatever I do. Not everyone's that way. Um, I personally feel you have to do something that you're passionate about because at the end of the day all the money and i've i've seen it in my industry uh a lot of people being the most miserable they've ever been and sure they're making a ton of money but they're they're just not happy with it they're not enjoying their you know their life whether they call it their quality of life or their whatever it is that comes into it you have to have passion you have to have that because there's no way you're going to make a career out of something that you that you hate and i I think a lot of people do find that. Um, I, I know in my previous endeavor, maybe it was boredom. Maybe it was, you know, I needed a new chase. I, I had lost the passion for it and I was ready for something else. I didn't know what it was, but I, I just knew I needed that. And then I remember I, I remember hearing about it when I met you in 2016, 2017. Before you started working at the University of South Florida, you had a, another business that you sold, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a, I had a tech consulting business. Um, and it was, it was great. I, I loved it for a long period of time, but I just wanted something else. And I, I actually, when that work at the university of South Florida was, was amazing, you know, not, not just because I met you, which was a cool experience. Cause that same thing I said about my business partner kind of applies like you and I, we met each other. We just kept like, we'd be like, man, we got to figure out a way to like, and I just remember just being like, oh yeah, this is cool. And for me, that was that was a great passion because once again, I was meeting people face to face. It was mm -hmm. like rather than these giant, I had a long period of time of just working with big companies and helping them. It was like, no, I'm, I'm able to help this small time uh, inventor get their feet off the ground. That was a huge passion project for me. I, I mm -hmm. really love that. How was that transition like from selling your company to going back to working? Uh, so, uh, it was so the, the bigger transition was the tech space to the roofing space okay. that for me was almost seamless. Cause it was, it was still the same thing, same thing new back then it was, it was green suits. Now, now it's blue suits. Mm -hmm. And Miguel, I, and well, 
this is the last question I'm going to ask you before asking you some personal rapid fire questions. I end every interview like this since it's called Dreamers yeah. University. Miguel, what are your dreams? What are my dreams? Uh, what I really want to do is is I want to help other people that have been in in the same situation that I was growing up. Uh, lower middle class people be the first in their family to achieve something me like meteoric, something that nobody in their family thought was possible. Um, I'm about to turn 40. I know, I know that's crazy, right? So next month I turn 40 and I have a goal of before I hit 50, I want 10 people. I want to help 10 people achieve that level of success, like a huge, huge, huge level where their family's just looking and, and looking at them and saying like, how did you do that? And I, I want them to be able to say, Hey, you know, Miguel helped me do this. Hey, maybe I can help you get, <laughs> yeah. those, get those kids. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, man. Let's work something out. I'm. I would love to help you on that mission. Cool. <laughs> but let's end this with some rapid fire questions. This All is. Right. I'm going to ask you about four or five questions, and then just answer in one or two sentences. It's a great way for both your audience and my audience to get to know you on a personal le level. You ready? All right, let's do it. All right. Who's your favorite entrepreneur? Uh, I I love Elon Musk just Elon. because, and I know he he could be a little bit of a polarizing figure, but uh, I love him just because he he's he's a differential thinker. Favorite city to visit? Uh, Tampa. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I miss it. I miss Tampa, man. Go Tampa. Go Bucks. <laughs> yeah. Favorite nonfiction book. Favorite nonfiction book would have to be The 4-Hour Workweek. Uh, it was the first book I read where uh, there was actually like actionable information. There was even links to specific websites, and that blew my mind. Favorite food and drink? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a Spanish guy, so I love like just platano maduros with rice and beans, the way mom used to cook it. You give me a little Malta Goya and I'm in heaven. Oh, man, I'm hungry now. And <laughs> one last question. If you knew you had one day to live, besides the obvious answer to spend with your wife and your kids, what would you do? Uh, I, so I would love to do something just completely like just fun. <laughs> like whether it was like, okay, I'm going to go to a bounce house or one of these like trampoline parks and just jump around like a little kid. Like, <laughs> enjoy that last day, man. Man, you missed it. I was at my nephew's birthday party about a few years ago and I did exactly that. Did you? Okay, <laughs> I'm jealous, man. And Miguel, where can people find you? So I'm pretty consistent. Uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube, Mig Tavares, M-I-G, T-A-V-E-R-A-S, uh, pretty consistent across there. So awesome. And then, my company, Blue Hammer Roofing, is uh, bluehammerroofing.com, and then we also have bluehammersolar.com. And I'm also going to link that in the show notes as well. So, nice. Miguel, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really great connecting with you. And when are you coming to Tampa next, man? We got to link up. 
Oh man! So for my fortieth, I have I have about forty friends who are like, "Hey, we got to do forty friends for our fortieth birthday." So maybe in February we'll have to link up. <laughs> for sure, man. Thank thank you for being on. Cool. Thank you so much. Welcome to the main takeaways from interviewing Miguel. Miguel is a successful entrepreneur. Has built a successful company. With his partners, but when you look at any successful entrepreneur, every single one of them, they have a story. They have battling their own insecurities. They have their own childhood trauma. Miguel had his own, dealing with alcoholism, drugs, family members attempting and committing suicide. He had to overcome these challenges as a child. To get to where he's at now, you can be going through other challenges, but just know it doesn't matter where you come from in your life. You can become successful in whatever avenue you choose. Miguel talks about the five tips to building a successful business. He calls it the three P's and the two S's. Number one is people. Surround yourself with people who have integrity because whether they are partners or your employees, you need to be able to trust them. Number two is product. You have to stand behind a product that you are proud of, that you can sell, that you talk every, everywhere you go. And number three is process. What type of processes do you have in place, which leads to the two S's that can scale? Number one, that can scale. Can your processes and can your business model scale to a $100 million company? And number two, the second S is sustainable. Is your business model sustainable? Are your processes sustainable for, to last five years, 10 years, 20 years in the long run? I asked Miguel, is this something that you figure out as you go or in the very beginning? And he says that him and his four partners figured this out. They sat down for days, for weeks, and they figured this out in the very beginning. Because when you figure this stuff out, you build a solid foundation for your business to succeed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Dreamers University just a reminder to subscribe if you're on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. I need your help to reach as many people and impact as many people as possible. So I want to hack the system. Go ahead, like and comment if you're on YouTube. Rate and review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Also, my podcast website is below in the show notes, www.shlomosalson.com forward slash DU podcast where you can join my weekly newsletter to receive inspiring stories and practical tips to help you live your dream life. Thank you for listening. And until next time, peace.